Our lifespan is increasing, but what about our health span, the portion of our lives in which we're healthy? Extend your health span with SRW, Science Research Wellness. SRW is a nutraceutical company that curates the latest science and research to formulate supplements designed to support the structure, function, and processes within our cells that change with age. SRW's cell range line, cell 1, cell 2, and cell 3, constitute the complete cellular system range which supports the nine areas of the cell to change with age, the nine hallmarks of aging. SRW's carefully selected cutting-edge ingredients and formulations support the aging process in a way that previous generations have not had access to. Learn more about the science behind SRW, the nine hallmarks of aging, and how you can find out your biological age by going to srw.co. That's srw.co. SRW, the science of aging well. srw.co. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today, we're going to talk about integrative rheumatology. That's an intelligent medicine approach to rheumatological conditions, which comprise a wide array of uh, challenging maladies, including, of course, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, lupus, psoriatic arthritis, uh, and the so-called collagen vascular diseases, things like uh, Sjogren's syndrome, and so on. Uh, our guest is Dr. Jill Weintraub. Uh, she is the author, uh, a co-author of a book entitled Strategies to Treat Psoriasis and Psoriatic Arthritis, Everything You Wish Your Doctor Had Told You. She's certified both in uh, rheumatology uh, with a subspecialty training at the Hospital for Joint Diseases, NYU. And she's also the Andrew Lowell Fellowship recipient for the study of integrative medicine with Dr. Andrew Weil at the Weil Center in Arizona. Uh, she was chief of rheumatology at a large multi-specialty group for over 10 years, named one of New York's best doctors. Uh, she practices in several venues, including uh, an office in New York, uh, and is the founder of Integrative Rheumatology Consultants, you can find them at jillweintraubmd.com. And uh, she's also uh, the co-creator of Kitchen Prescription, a cooking and wellness blog. So she really incorporates uh, diet as part of her strategy for optimizing the outcomes for her patients. Uh, Dr. Weintraub, it's a pleasure having you on Intelligent Medicine. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, as we do with most guests, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your journey, because uh, it, it seems that you started out uh, in conventional medicine, uh, went on to be board certified in rheumatology, uh, which uh, not often recognizes the the role that uh, diet and lifestyle, uh, certain nutritional supplements can play in optimizing outcomes. So how did uh, you make a, a bit of a transition towards embracing uh, natural uh, approaches. Yeah, well, you you've hit it on the head. I, I really felt like 
as much as I enjoyed practicing rheumatology, there wasn't a big forum within my specialty for recognizing that diet and lifestyle and, and mind-body medicine plays such a big role in, in how the body copes with inflammation. And so I, I really feel like my patients brought that to me over and over again, asking me, you know, what to do, what to eat, should they take supplements, was stress causing their disease to flare, did it trigger it in the first place? And I found that I, I really couldn't answer those questions with the training that I had been given in conventional medicine. So, you know, after some soul searching and some 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 thinking um, during the pandemic, I decided that I was going to combine both my conventional training and I went back and I got some integrative medicine training with Dr. Andrew Weil, as you had mentioned. And that really helped me understand that, you know, these things are not siloed. You know, um, medication works much better when people optimize their lifestyle and vice versa. And I really wanted to figure out a forum in which to combine both of those. So that was really the, the genesis of my practice. And by the way, I noticed that we're a fellow alums of Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Uh, I believe I a little earlier than you. Uh, and, and so t- tell us a little bit about uh, the Andrew Weil uh, Center for Integrative Medicine. What was uh, that program like and what insights did it bring you? You know, it brought me so many insights. Um, you know, one of the, the one of the tenets that they teach there is that doctors really need to heal themselves so that they themselves can be healers. And you know, at, when that was said to me, I, I think I was seeing about twenty five patients a day, and I was running an infusion center, and I really wasn't taking very good care of myself. And I felt like the stress and anxiety that I was always coping with really affected my ability to listen to my patients. And so going through the fellowship training and learning about other whole systems of medicine like traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic um, and, and others as well, and just the pace of the fellowship and the fact that they wanted us to participate in a lot of those types of healing therapies that those other whole systems of medicine embody helped me understand that, you know, while Western medicine has many gifts, and, and particularly in rheumatology, you know, with, with the advent of our new therapies, certainly the waiting rooms look a lot different than they did 20 years ago. So it's not really one or the other, but I just began to understand that these other therapies are so complementary to what we're already doing and so helpful for the doctor-patient relationship because when doctors feel like they're being taken care of and they can take care of themselves, they're in such a better position to really take care of their patients. And so I began to notice that right away as soon as I started the fellowship. And it also, it it gave me a very good scientific and evidence-based foundation for all the things that I, I didn't learn in medical school and in my training, like nutrition and are there phytochemicals or supplements that are helpful, particularly in rheumatoid arthritis. It, it helped me look through that lens, whereas really before that, my lens had been focused on pharmaceuticals. So 
So it really opened up my mind that there's a whole lot of other therapies out there that we can be using and that in doing that, you know, we can give our patients so much more agency, so much more choice, but also there's we give them so much more that they can do to help themselves get better as opposed to just leaning on their doctors for another drug. So, you know, overall, I, I felt like it really, it helped me personally, the training, and it really, really broadened my depth of understanding of how inflammation is so multifaceted and it's so affected by so many different systems in the body. And it really helped me learn how to take much more of a whole body approach as opposed to just looking at inflammation of one organ, say a joint, and, you know, and trying to target it from there. Indeed. And, and, uh, it, it certainly is more empowering than just submitting to uh, a prescription uh, to actively engage patients in their own uh, uh, outcomes uh, and giving them tools by which they feel they can participate in, in a healing process. Since depression is, is a major feature of many of these rheumatological diseases, it's well known in, in rheumatoid arthritis and in other conditions. Yeah, I mean, certainly that is the case. Depression, chronic pain, anxiety. And, you know, it. I think, to my thinking, it's one of these chicken or the egg type things because we know that people who experience emotional trauma early in life are more likely to develop an autoimmune disease later in life. And then, of course, people who experience autoimmune diseases and chronic pain, of course, that puts them much more at risk for depression. So I, I think it goes in, in both directions. And I, I think really targeting the depression um, and certainly targeting the chronic pain is really important in people getting better. Indeed. So and what are some of the conditions that are comprised by uh, your, your practice, the practice of uh, rheumatology? What, what goes under the rubric of rheumatologic or autoimmune conditions? Yeah, well, so, you know, all autoimmune type diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, psoriatic arthritis, um, spinal arthritis, like spondyloarthropathies and ankylosing spondylitis. And then there are rare diseases as well. And then in my practice, I also um, spend a lot of time on preventative autoimmune disease. And what that means is that particularly today and particularly after COVID, I find, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of blood work and we're finding that people have a lot of autoantibodies or markers for autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid factors or anti-nuclear antibodies, but they may not have disease symptoms at that time. But what we know is that people often develop antibodies five mm -hmm. to 10 years before they may yep. develop a syndrome. And there's a lot we can do in that intercritical time before people develop symptoms to try and prevent symptoms from ever coming or to try and mitigate it so that if it comes, we're prepared and it's, it's not such a, a, an acute onset. So I also do a lot of what we call pre-RA and pre-lupus yep. treatment. I, I think that that's a really important point because uh, there are innumerable people who suffer from mild malaise, aches and pains, uh, fatigue, uh, and they may have some uh, low-grade markers of infection, but they, they don't catch the ring 
and get an actual diagnosis. They may have a positive ANA, but they don't have some of the attributes of a classic rheumatological condition. I think you'll agree. And so the strategy for them essentially is, well, let's just wait until you develop a full-blown illness, and then we can deploy the powerful uh, anti-inflammatory uh, immune suppressive agents that we have in our arsenal. But in the meantime, we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah, and, and and that's really, I feel like today we can do so much better than that. But you're right. I mean, that was certainly the paradigm that I was trained in and practiced in for many years. But, of course, you know, what we know today is that there are, there are many risk factors for developing autoimmune conditions that are reversible and that we, if we know about them, you know, we can take steps toward making those things much better. So, of course, you know, a big one would be the Western diet, very high in omega-6 fatty mm-hmm. acids. But, you know, other things like smoking or vitamin D deficiency or perioral gum disease is a big risk factor for developing rheumatoid arthritis later in life, as well as, again, going back to mental health. So, you know, ongoing stress, chronic stress, chronic pain, all these things drive the sympathetic nervous system, which is really involved in pushing inflammation and and triggering disease. So, you know, when we see now, if we see somebody with one of these autoantibodies, we can spend some time trying to to educate them about these risk factors so that there's, there's a lot that they can do to prevent the onset and certainly delay it and certainly make it much more mild. Okay, folks, at this point, let's pause and allow one of our sponsors an opportunity to share a vital message with you. Here goes. If chocolate is your weakness, the real chocolate decadence of Flava Naturals Performance Chocolate can be your strength. I've been searching high and low for cocoa products that deliver meaningful amounts of healthful flavanols with great flavor and minimal sugar. So I'm thrilled to have found Flava Naturals. Extensive research demonstrates the remarkable benefits of daily cocoa flavanols on brain and heart function, including a recent Harvard study showing a 27% reduction in cardiovascular death. But you need to eat five or more ordinary dark chocolate bars every day to match the flavanols consumed in most of these studies. Flava Naturals Performance Dark Chocolate Cocoa Powder and Beverages deliver five to nine times the flavanols of typical dark chocolate. Their secret is sourcing premium, high flavanol cocoa beans and processing them naturally. The result is decadent dark chocolate with the flavanol levels needed to fuel brain and cardio performance. I use it every day. For more information and to order, just go to flavanaturals.com. That's flavanaturals.com. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting our sponsors. They're what make Intelligent Medicine a continuing free resource to you. And now back to today's guest, Dr. Jill Weintraub. So before we get to uh, the armamentarium of natural therapies and talk about diet and various uh, supplements, uh, let's let's go over you know some of the conventional strategies. And my impression is in the field of rheumatology, uh, they've sort of flipped the script. It used to be that they would sort of wage war incrementally against rheumatological conditions, that they would uh, start with, you know, a relatively mild medication, uh, you know, maybe uh, hydroxychloroquine or something like that, which has lately gained a lot of attention around COVID. But, you know, it's a, it's a classic medication for, um, 
for rheumatoid conditions. Uh, and then they would up the ante, you know, perhaps, I mean, we'd certainly use non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, you know, lots and lots of those. Uh, and then maybe some uh, immunosuppressant, maybe uh, methotrexate. Uh, and then, uh, I don't know, it must have been a couple of decades ago, there was the advent of the so-called biologics, and they were considered a last resort. But now it appears that uh, what they're encouraging is earlier use of these strong biologics. And they, they can be miraculous in terms of, you know, altering the course of disease. They are called DMARDs, disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs, if I'm my memory serves me right. But they do come with some downsides and hazards, don't they? Yeah, they certainly do. And, and you're 100% right. So today we use what's called a, a treat-to-target approach, which means we like to intervene early. And early meaning we like to intervene, we're really talking about rheumatoid arthritis here, before there's any evidence on an x-ray that the joint has been damaged. And that's because we know that if we can keep that joint intact, if we don't have any erosions into bone or damage to the lining of the joint, then people do much better regardless of which agents we use. So that's that's the genesis behind this accelerated approach, or that's the thinking behind it. Um, but you're right, of course, with more aggressive treatment comes more aggressive side effects. So typically we start with one of what we would call, what you correctly named, the oral DMARDs. And, and those are usually Plaquenil or Methotrexate. And both of those are, are old drugs with pretty good safety profiles. But within three months, if we don't feel like people have really reached a low level of disease activity, and of course we measure that by determining if the joints are still swollen, if they're tender, we can look for blood work markers, we can check x-rays. But if we don't feel like people are achieving the result that, that we want, um, then, of course, now we have a whole armamentarium of what are called biologics. And, of course, some of those are biologics that are injections and infusions. And then some of those are what we call targeted synthetic DMARDs, biologics, which are pills. And they are very uh, effective drugs. Um, they work at the level of the joint to really stop that damage. But in doing so, they have to suppress different arms of the immune system. And of course, your immune system is what allows your body to defend itself against infection, to squash a precancerous cell so it doesn't blossom into a cancer, and of course, to maintain, um, to defend itself from autoimmunity. So that's where we start seeing some of the side effects. So with the traditional biologic DMARDs, which were the first ones that came out, those are injections and infusions, you know, we can see more of the common infections, but of course, rarely we can see very serious infections like tuberculosis reactivation or serious fungal infections, serious bacterial infections. So obviously, that's very concerning. And, you know, we have to screen people to see if they're candidates for these drugs in the first place. But Sometimes, unfortunately, even people who seem like they would do just fine on these drugs will experience one of these complications. 
And of course, the other thing that always comes up with these biologic DMARDs is, you know, this question of do they increase your risk of cancer? And of course, that's actually a a more difficult question to answer in rheumatoid arthritis. And it's difficult because if you have untreated rheumatoid arthritis that's very active, the rheumatoid arthritis itself will increase your risk of cancer. So when we use biologic DMARDs, we think of it that they take away the risk from the untreated rheumatoid arthritis because they quiet the Mm -hmm. disease down. But then, of course, they add in some of their own risk. So So six of one, half dozen of the other. Yeah, right. Yeah. But either Uh, way, there is an increased cancer risk. So that's something that we have to do surveillance for, particularly in people at higher risk. It sounds like you as a rheumatologist are are uniquely situated uh, to know when to hold and when to fold when it comes to applying these these stronger medications. You might start out with a a mild medication and a a lifestyle approach. And if that's successful, then we can forego the use of the big guns. Uh, But then, uh, you know, should uh, the uh, momentum of the inflammatory condition be too great to overcome with the mere diet change or certain supplements, then you have, at least in your tool bag, the opportunity to use a stronger medication, at least perhaps temporarily until the patient may respond to, to lifestyle measures, and then you can taper that medication. Yeah, I really find that to be true, and we're starting even to have some, some studies to back that up. You know, obviously, lifestyle changes like diet, particularly, those are things that are harder to study than, say, a medication just because what we eat is so varied and, and it's just hard to get everybody to eat the same thing. But um, there is a rheumatologist at UCSD by the name of Monica Gumma who developed what's called the ITIS diet, I-T-I-S, mm. and did a pilot study in rheumatoid arthritis patients and found that people who adhered to to this diet really had a a very dramatic reduction in both their fatigue and their level of pain. And her diet is actually pretty similar to the Mediterranean diet, which of course is the tried and true diet that has helped so many conditions. Um, But to tailor it to rheumatoid arthritis, she did ask people to eliminate gluten Mm -hmm. and to eliminate dairy with the exception of fermented dairy like yogurt um, and to eliminate red meat and eat more fish and then to have a, a smoothie with fruits and vegetables every day. And there were some other things too like green tea and the use of turmeric and black pepper in cooking. But what she found was that most people found the diet to be, you know, reasonable. They were able to follow it. It wasn't prohibitively expensive or the ingredients weren't difficult to find. And it was palatable. And it was a small study, but it was it was encouraging because in rheumatology, we really like to see data. You know, we're used to seeing data with our drugs. So it was really nice to see some data with this diet that affirms what, what we all see in our clinical practice, I think, that, you know, when when people veer away from the processed food and the sugar and certainly the soda, which is an independent risk factor for rheumatoid arthritis, drinking sugar-sweetened soda, when people veer away from that, they do tend to feel better and their medications seem to work better and longer. 
And that's actually really important in rheumatoid arthritis because what we often see is we put people on a biologic and it works for a month or two and then it stops working. And then we have to keep switching it. And as we go through our algorithm, then we're getting into biologics that not only have the side effects of infection and cancer that we discussed, but once we start talking about some of the targeted synthetic DMARDs, you know, then we're talking about side effects, including increased risks of cardiovascular events. Mm -hmm. So we really don't like to see people cycling through medication. And I certainly have found that, uh, you know, adherence to a good diet, and there are some other measures as well, plays a big role in, in stopping that cycling. And there's a lot of controversy about what the ideal diet is for, say, I mean, the classic uh, rheumatological condition, of course, is rheumatoid arthritis. And there have been some studies looking at uh, vegan diets with some efficacy, uh, some studies that look at fasting. Fasting is actually something, you know, we could talk a little bit about fasting and what fasting does to the body in terms of repair and reducing uh, inflammation. Uh, and then there's also the notion that uh, something called the AIP, the autoimmune paleo diet, uh, which might place a little more uh, emphasis on animal protein, but uh, eschews grains entirely and dairy entirely, uh, that that may have some efficacy. So, you know, uh, different roads lead to Rome. Yeah, yeah. And I agree. There's, you know, I, I've seen the studies, too, and all of those diets have shown some efficacy. Um, you know, I, I really feel like with food and eating, it's, it's so important to meet people where they are. So, you know, I, I'm thinking of a patient that I saw last week, a young woman who was already um, diagnosed with an eating disorder. So, you know, that's not someone who I'd ever want to put on a very exactly. restrictive vegan it, diet. That, exactly. That, that's is really, that's, that's sort of putting gasoline on a fire is to say, don't eat this, don't eat that, don't eat the other thing. Yeah, not a good idea. Yeah. But, you know, for some people I've found they have gone vegan and it's just been life-changing. So I think it's, you know, it's very individualized. I would say from, you know, just a strict rheumatologic point of view, um, another issue that I see with vegan diets long-term is osteoporosis. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, people with rheumatoid arthritis and lupus and Sjogren's, of course, they are at increased risk for that to begin with. So then if we throw in a vegan diet, it may help with the joint inflammation, but it may put their bones at risk for osteoporosis later in life. So generally, if people want to do that, I say fine, but then at some point, I feel like we have to find a way to increase the calcium intake and increase the protein intake mm -hmm. to to protect the bones. Indeed. And then I, I, you know, I have a lot of patients who have had a lot of success with intermittent fasting. And yeah. a lot of people, I think, find that pretty easy to do in that it's less restrictive in terms of what you have to eat. It's just more restrictive in terms of when you can eat it. Mm -hmm. and, so and there's I this process that, that it, it induces uh, that's called uh, autophagy. And autophagy may be something that is very uh, beneficial for uh, immunity, for enhancing and balancing immunity, because we don't actually want to accentuate immunity. We want to balance it. Uh, so it may have sort of an adaptogenic effect on immunity. Uh, and then there's um, the notion that, you know, this enables the body to do a, a cleanup, you know, while you're 
uh, fasting or restricting calories, uh, kind of maybe clear out some of those immune complexes that are causing problems. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of benefits to doing that. I would just say that um, Plaquenil, which is one of the drugs we use a lot of, interferes with that autophagy process. Mm-hmm. So usually if people are going to do that, then we have to switch the drugs if they're taking that. And then, of course, Plaquenil can also cause low blood sugars, and sometimes some people are at risk for that with fasting diets as well. So, Incidentally, then that's, so that's yeah, hydroxychloroquine, like- by the way, isn't it? That was hydroxychloroquine, yeah. Right, which is which ga- has gained a lot of notoriety or fame around uh, COVID. So a, a rheumatological drug uh, has found at least claimed efficacy against COVID. Uh, some of the trials disappointing, but uh, that that's actually a, a major tool. And at one point, it got hard for some of my patients with rheumatological conditions to get Plaquenil because there was a run on hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> and they were finding it hard to uh, yeah. get. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That was a really big problem. Um, yeah, I'm really glad that's over. And now every, I can stop calling around trying to find that drug. But yeah, yeah there was a, a run on it for COVID, but it didn't really pan out in the trials. Yeah. Um, I mean, one nice thing about Plaquenil is that it's one of the rheumatologic drugs that we, we think of as being COVID neutral, meaning it, it may not help your COVID, but it's mm-hmm. not going to make it worse. Yeah. And it's not going to interfere with vaccine responses. Indeed. Okay, good point which to pause because we divide our podcast into two parts. And in part two, I want to take a deeper dive on uh, on supplements because uh, having graduated from uh, the Andrew Weil program uh, in integrative medicine, uh, you're likely to be an aficionado of uh, supplements and supplements may play a role in rheumatoid arthritis and other autoimmune conditions. Uh, we'll hear about some of those in just a moment when we return. Our guest is Dr. Jill Weintraub. Uh, you can find out more about her at Jill Weintraub, MD. Weintraub is spelled W-E-I-N-T-R-A-U-B. So it's JillWeintraubMD.com. And um, her book is uh, Strategies to Treat psori- Psoriasis and Psoriatic Arthritis, Everything You Wish Your Doctor Had Told You. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.